can't make small talk like every other grown-up in the world? You can't no. talk about boring bullshit no. for half an hour? No. Hey, how about those interest rates? No. Hey, I lost I my AAA card. Nope. Like everybody else? Nope, sorry. You're a fucking asshole. Welcome back, listener. It's Hard Meant to Please, episode 31. We're rounding out the Oscar Best Picture nominees with our problematic faves. we got Manchester by the Sea, starring alleged sexual harasser Casey Affleck, and Hacksaw Ridge, directed by confirmed racist, anti-Semite, and emotionally abusive drunk Mel Gibson. Yeah, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yeah. That that seems fair. I think well, that seems uh, fair. For, just for the record, we've got... sounds like we've got a friendly voice back on the on the line this time. Is that Frankie? Oh, I thought you were talking about Ethan. Yes, this is Frankie. Friendly and there back on go. the line. About, talk about prop... Keeps coming up with you. <laughs> I can't be racist if I'm another race. That's, that's you ever think of that? Those are the facts, yeah. Confirmed racial ambiguity. You got that Keeps me get out of jail free card. Yeah, you're like the shadow because like, no one would even know which racist things they can't say around That's you. That's the thing. Being that ambiguity, I'm like Ben Kingsley. Who knows? <laughs> Can Ben Kingsley be racist? I don't think so. And also, when I look at you, all I see is Gandhi. <laughs> well, That's I mean, racist. we do have uh, very similar physiques, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> In that he is dead and emaciated, so I mean that that oh, bad, Oof. not a good one. So, like I said, we kind of this one was inadvertent. We actually we intentionally grouped all the black people movies together, but yeah. um, yesterday, I mean the lot. I was not on board for that decision to be made. I just wanted to point that out there, being you know not racist. Okay, well, see, we didn't we didn't know we didn't have you on board, so we couldn't make that decision. <laughs> But we, uh, the last two weren't really paired together in any way that I can figure out. Can you, Eve? Uh, La La Land and Lion are uh, start with L's, so they got that's that. true. That's I don't remember what other movies we saw. Pairing. Uh, we did what's it called by itself. Um, we tagged it onto the end of the Sundance movies, uh, Hell or High Water, and then Arrival. We go. didn't do it all. Right. It's kind of the yeah because you guys really like that movie, right? Yeah, Hell or High Water is really good. <laughs> Solid. But this one, we accidentally tagged together just because it was the two that were left over, and then later we realized, oh, hey, there are two movies that kind of bring up the question of uh, can you separate yeah. art from the creator of that art? These are also the two, well, maybe the two whitest movies? Hmm. You think it's that? whiter than La La Land? Is is wouldn't you say La La Land is pretty white? Yeah, I guess La La Land is definitely the whitest, but you know of the of the others, whitest number two and number three. <laughs> Why is it? Got it. Yeah, Whatever. It's just it, the it, leftovers. Definitely, definitely <laughs> the light side of the moon. Yeah. I mean, the reason I bring that up is that um, I remember back in the day, I remember listening to this uh, Phil Spector. Uh, discussion on NPR where these guys were actually intentionally talking about the duality of Phil Spector as like a musical, you know, pioneer and as a uh, murderer and uh, abuser of women. And it drove me nuts because they kept 
you know, again, it, trying to have this balanced conversation, they were constantly, as like music history nerds, like drawn back into like gushing over Phil Spector and how awesome he was. And then like callers kept calling in, mostly women, who were like, hey guys, like, you kind of are ignoring the other side of this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. the fact that he's a monster yeah and it's like how like yeah. we like the music too but like is that really the important part because that's what you're making it out to be so my question what like that for me was kind of formative and saying you know even though in a kind of a clinical and maybe in a scholarly way you can dissect the work without taking the author into account can you in a pop culture way so when it comes down to Oscars, which are a very pop culture recognition of someone, it's very much applauding the individual. Can you get away with giving awards to folks like Casey Affleck and Mel Gibson without addressing that elephant in the room? Hmm. Well, the the one question that I have is who is the onus on to kind of hold that person's feet to the fire. I mean, is it us as people that are choosing whether or not we're going to consume what they've made? Or is it the body that decides whether or not they're winning awards? Or, you know, is it the people that are financing financing the movies? I mean, where where does the accountability come into? Like, who who is on the hook for being accountable for those people? Because obviously... I think in this scenario, the people themselves are not. I mean, has Mel Gibson has never actually really apologized for anything. He's kind of skirted around, you know, his whole situation. And I think, um, I mean, what's really come of the, the Casey Affleck stuff from, like, on the set of this movie that we're going to be talking about? Didn't come, the accusations came from the set of, um, what was it called? I'm, I'm Still Here, the uh, Joaquin Phoenix documentary. Mm-hmm. And just in case anyone doesn't know, um, he was accused of some pretty specific and aggressive sexual harassment, including uh, telling a crew member to flash one of the... There's two different women. Uh, Amanda White was was one of the producers, uh, telling a crew member to flash her, um, trying to coerce her into sharing a hotel room and then grabbing her when she refused, um, and uh, waking up... um, she woke up, or maybe it was the other one, like Magdalena Gorka. I can't remember which one was which, but one of them actually woke up after being given the bed in whatever hotel room they were staying in, woke up with uh, with Affleck, like essentially spooning her and kind of like caressing her or whatever, fucking creepy. So, Yikes. Um, so that's what he's dealing with. What he said is that's just like, oh, people say that kind of thing when you're famous. Where I'm a family man. And hasn't really addressed it. At least, like, Gibson was like, hey, I'm Australian. I'm a drunk. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so nothing's come out of it for Affleck yet. And I think a lot of people are kind of holding their breath. Like, well, is this guy going to walk away with the big prize? And, you know, with kind of no worse for wear from this stuff coming out. Had this come out before the Golden Globes? I think it did, I right? think it just barely did, yeah. Just barely? I mean, it's kind of a Bill Cosby situation where I'm sure it was out for some people a long time ago, but like the greater awareness of it, um, you know, came a little later. I mean, if the question's uh, whether or not the people consuming or the people awarding will uh, take charge and like take a stand here, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that people aren't going to do anything because you see who's president right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. so i would so say is it down to the first critic, step should be the, the critical community 
I would assume so. I mean, I, that's what I. Not that you want to like pass the buck as a consumer. I think you could still obviously do your part. Well, I did my part. Um, both of these movies I pirated instead of paying for a ticket. So, <laughs> and I did my part. I wrote a, a glowing review of Casey Affleck's performance in this <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> that happened before um, um, before the allegations came out, right? Or at least before you were yes. aware of them. No, yeah, well before they came out. Well, that that's what I'm saying because I feel like it's easy to say, well, just separate the work and the artist because then. If someone's in your situation, you've just said, oh, this guy's awesome in it. And now if you're going to try to take that into account, are you going to be like, well, actually, he wasn't as good. But I mean, to be honest, for me, I mean, Frankie, do you see these? I mean, at least with Mel Gibson, you know what you're getting. But either way, for me, I saw it after those allegations were out. And so I feel like it did affect the way I watched the movie and how I felt about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think. um, And and I, I. I guess just from a critical standpoint, because obviously I don't want to kind of diminish anything that Casey Affleck specifically has been accused of doing. Um, but I was really unable to, you know, actually give his performance the benefit of the doubt. Um, I kind of wasn't as wooed as I think a lot of people were. Um, I was kind of waiting for there to be some kind of breakthrough in the performance that led me to believe that, you know, he legitimately could take home this award. Um, and, you know, maybe in comparison to the other actors that are nominated, but there wasn't really anything in his performance that kind of dazzled me in any way. But I mean, the same thing with Michelle Williams, uh, in this, uh, you know, she's, isn't she nominated for best actress Ethan, or supporting actress? I can't remember. One of them was, I'll confirm. No, she she was. Confirming okay. in about 10 minutes. Well, she would have been supporting them. <laughs> oh, would she, Jared? <laughs> yeah, I think you. so. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're correct. Well, I think I think it might have to be on the community itself. I think that has to be something that's kind of makes its way through the court of opinion in Hollywood itself, I would assume. Um, that, you know, people would either have to decide to not work with him or not finance his movies or so on and so forth for there to be any kind of repercussion outside of, you know, the actual law itself. Um, because like you were saying, the people in general won't care. They'll forget about it. Right. Uh, the people that are affected won't obviously, but I mean, if he doesn't make a, another movie that's worthwhile for three or four years and that he's in something again, that's Oscar worthy, then, you know, that'll just be, that'll probably be it. And they'll, you'll see it. Oh, remember he was accused of this and this. And he's like, yeah, but you know, it's been four years. Nothing's ever came of it. So it probably wasn't anything to begin with. But I mean, if he's essentially kind of blacklisted by his contemporaries or the people that actually make movies, maybe that's, maybe that's the only way for it to be. I don't know. Well, that's kind of what happened to Mel Gibson, actually, wasn't it? And now he's kind of like come out of the wilderness and people are like, oh yeah, Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. why not? Well, I mean, this is like the first movie he's directed since Apocalypto, I think, which yeah. was like in 2006. And he wasn't even... I mean, he's been stuck. He wasn't even given his name garbage. on it. He's just the, the director of Braveheart. Yeah, whereas Apocalypto was <laughs> Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. It was, you know, yeah. kind of, I think, just before the fall. And uh, the, I think the good thing about this year, 
Mel Gibson isn't going to win any awards, so don't worry okay. about that part. Well, well, let's get to the... I mean, I guess as as kind of my take on it, just as to kind of wrap this up, is I feel like one thing that I've learned more uh, while doing this podcast is just that all those little things really do matter in your in your uh, experience with a film. And that I think there's a kind of perfectionist uh, desire to try to be able to say kind of like Rolling Stones out. These are the 500 greatest films and they're perfect. And they're always going to be exactly as good as I'm saying they are, but that everything from the theater that you see it in to the way you feel about the actors who are in it to your expectations, like uh, Frankie, you and me hadn't seen these until after they were uh, nominated. Yeah. Um, and just down to all these different things and down to the way you, whether you hear a really fucking annoying Coke commercial right before the movie, <laughs> It all kind of plays mm-hmm. into it, and there's no such thing as like a you know the eternal rating that like uh, I know you know uh, Ebert used to retroactively kind of give movies that he'd already reviewed like a new review in light of whether they'd last the test of time, and that was kind of like all right, triple stamp it, don't erase it. This one's <laughs> actually how good that movie is, and I don't think that really yeah. exists. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, did we flip a coin? Were we talking about first Hacksaw Ridge? Uh, what are we? Sure, oh. that works for me. Okay. Saw Ridge was uh, <laughs> I've gotten all my thing. I'm like written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, uh, so that's obviously wrong. It was written by Robert Schenken and Andrew Knight, and directed by Melvin Gibbs. So Melly Gibbs, uh, yeah. Andrew Garf. story of Andrew Garf as Desmond Doss, <laughs> the real life hero who was the first uh first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor before cool. uh, before that award became uh, synonymous with a stupid fucking FPS video game. <laughs> so, Ethan, uh, what did you think uh, about good old... This movie sucks. Uh, Hacksaw? <laughs> this is... So I, I momentarily crap. opened your notes on this instead of mine, and I saw, is this a Forrest Gump remake written in, like, all caps? <laughs> It is a Forrest Gump <laughs> sequel. <laughs> Tell me it's not. <laughs> it's the oh man! It's the the scene where he saves Bubba Gump stretched out into an entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, doesn't doesn't he actually save more people than Bubba, and he eventually gets back to Lieutenant Dan? Yeah, a lot of a lot more guys lost their legs. They use that that same uh, technology to show about eighty guys with no legs below the knees. It was it was graphic. It was for graphic. Sure. Um, that's honestly like not to be ghoulish, but that was like my reason for wanting to see this movie. I was like, Mel Gibson is, I mean, not quite body horror, but he's definitely into like torturous, gruesome, like human mutilation. Yes. Um, and I'm like a movie made by him about a combat medic. I really thought the hacksaw part had to do with like amputations, but maybe that's more like Civil War era. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, so I was There's definitely amputations, but it was from artillery. Yeah, <laughs> not like actual hacksaws. Well, tell me how you felt about it, Frankie, because the way I felt was I was excited about that, but you have to sit through this entire first half that reminds you of how kind yes. of schmaltzy Mel Gibson really can be when you look back on it. Well, I mean, and I, again, this is something where my my opinions were kind of. They weren't fully formed before I started watching the movie, but they were definitely informed while I was watching the movie because there there are some 
heavy-handed Christianity that's kind yep. of forced in your face throughout the entirety of the first half. I mean, the entire movie itself, but it, it kind of makes a little bit more sense during wartime. But the first half is, you know, basically like it's very pretentious in its depiction of what this guy's religion is and his ability to conduct himself as a man that is completely surrounded by his religious identity. And I guess, you know, based on seeing the trailers and kind of having an idea of what it was, you know, this was just another World War II movie and everything, I kind of had an expectation and it was definitely shattered. Like, I, I had totally expected the, this is a boy from a small town, blah, blah, blah. You know, he he signs up and going through all the boot camp stuff. Like, I really expected all of that, but I expected it to be very condensed and <laughs> not so, you know, Bible bangy. It was very, uh, it was, it was, it was a little disconcerting. I was like, I don't, it's like I almost don't even want to get to the part where people are being blown in half at this point. Well, what's funny is, I, I guess, like, obviously this is an amazing story, so they've, they've, people have been trying to make it into movies for a while, but, Either the yeah. guy or his family kept like rejecting it because they didn't like the depiction of the character and his religion. Oh, and really? So they felt like this was the first time where like someone got it right, and it's like, well, yeah. Why were they even involved it, like, in it? Like, like a public figure. It's not like it's a book he wrote. Why would they need to sign off on it? And they're using his name, right? In his story, don't you have some rights to the that? Name? His name is Jimmy Conway. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's that's what I read, though. So, some sense. It did definitely have that feel, the same feeling as uh, Hidden Figures had, where the beginning is kind of a, like a morality play, where these like kind of broad two or one dimensional characters kind of are scoffing at the main character, and you're just like you're just kind of you know taking track of all the people who you're going to see in the last half of the movie apologize to them. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just paint by numbers backstory. Yeah, well, I mean, especially the very first thing that happens in the movie is, like, two little boys are in the woods, and one was like, race you home! And I'm like, why would this ever yeah. be in a script ever again? It's, like, such a joke at this point. It's so bad. And what was yeah. the point of any of that? Like, who gives a shit about his and brother? Also, when did that come back What the hell to? was Hugo Weaving's <laughs> accent? Hugo <laughs> Weaving should never do a Virginia accent ever again. Just stick to sounding like an elf. <laughs> or, or a you robot, know, Agent yeah, Smith. Robot. Those are the only two voices he should ever do, <laughs> ever. And he, um, well, not only that, but Andrew, like, once you hear the actual, you know, the real footage of the actual guy at the end, you're like, so they just told Andrew Garfield do a generic Southern accent, not like, yeah. don't try to do this guy's actual accent because you sound with nothing marbles like him. in your mouth. Yeah, they're like, do um, do a guy who has a lot of brain damage, <laughs> <laughs> but he's trying his hardest. But before he got the brain damage. <laughs> I don't know. He sounded pretty damaged. And also... Yeah, he was super dope. This is one of the things that I was very confused by. And just just help me remember this if you can. He had a brother, right? His brother signed up, right? And then he disappeared and that's from the movie. It. That's what I'm saying. What was the Completely point of any of that? never referenced at all. Zero reference. <sighs> I, I, at one point, I thought just maybe it. he was one of the other guys in his company, just because a lot of the actors look the same. Oh, uh, that would be good. Nope. No, no point. 
Like what, what? The the only time I thought that he was going to show or at least be mentioned is when they they kind of grouped up with that other unit, and one of the guys was like, "Hey, who's Desmond Dawes? Who's Desmond Dawes?" Mm. And I was like, "Oh no, they're going to say, hey, your brother was in our company, but yeah. he's dead." Yeah. And then there would be some kind of character development there or something like he's questioning god blah, blah, blah. nope yeah he's like hey we're also medics you should probably take that big white cross off your head because it's a bullseye for japanese folk yeah i don't think they ever called them japanese folk in the film <laughs> no they, uh, they, <laughs> they i mean I, we, well you know nice which i'm fine with that another thing I mean, it's... that mel gibson is is well known for besides his you know strong-handed uh christian faith is his a uh, very casual racism? So you know it made it. I was fine with it because it's soldiers, and it's like they're always going to use the worst possible word for the guys that they're about to shoot or be shot at. So I, I don't mind that the same way I did a little bit more in like Django Unchained. Well, that that yeah. part's fine. Like, yeah, the, that's how people yeah. probably talked in the more. But just how the movie itself depicts the Japanese people, especially near the end, is really weird. Yes. Like, yeah, what well, the hell was that whole suicide scene? Not to jump the to the seppuku end. Scene with, they love them the, some seppuku, you know, dude. Where, but, like, why you well, put that in there? And, like, I have much of a... They, uh, I mean, probably because Mel Gibson loves the idea of a dude fucking stabbing himself in the stomach and dragging the blade across his abdomen. And getting his head well, chopped they off. they mentioned it yeah. earlier in the movie about these guys would rather commit suicide than whatever they yeah. give up or whatever. So I knew that it was going to happen at some point. I knew that 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 it just it just had to. Mel Gibson wasn't going to let it go away. However, gotta close that loop. The way that he depicted it was just is like, come on now. Like even the guy who you know does the long sword portion of the seppuku, uh, it, you know, like his face and the slow mo and the <gasps> wait, did he just chop up? You know, it was just kind of like, come on now. Just, you could have shown the guy on his knees, opened his shirt up, and that would have been enough. But nope, we had to get it all. I'm really surprised that they didn't actually show the guts coming out I of was a little disappointed in that, yeah. Chopped off. It's like, how do you not show that? Um, Jeez. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm not actually clear on, because that is uh, a, a very big takeaway from World War II, is the idea that the Japanese were notoriously resistant to surrender. But I wonder how much mm-hmm. of that is um, basically making the case that it was like it saved lives to drop the bomb on them, you know? Like, oh, they yeah. wouldn't have surrendered if we didn't, so we had to do it. So I honestly don't know yeah. how much of that is kind of exaggerated to be able to make that case. Yeah, I feel like that's probably the case. Because I, I remember watching shit on like the History Channel about how like we had to drop the bomb because like, oh, they had this, this special jet they were working on. They were going to turn the <laughs> war around. Yeah, right. <laughs> With that one jet. <laughs> yeah. Super secret jet. Uh, dude, this not only is the movie casually racist, but it's pretty casually sexist too. It's, like the mother is such like just a weak character and so shallow. And even the girl he marries, like all of that I could have done without. And she's just like gonzo for this guy. She knows for like two days. Like what? So fucking yeah. charming, looking at her smiling like an idiot all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for my belt. I can't even get my blood back. Well, what a line. My, uh, <laughs> yeah, I want my blood back. What My takeaway from it after a while was like, is this like an unintentional 90s throwback movie? 
because <laughs> it's like Very obviously Gibson hasn't made a movie in a while and he's kind of you know he began directing in the 90s and it just has that feel of one of those movies that is like really overwrought sentimentality that would be playing to that yeah. um like the Shawshank Redemption theme or something in the trailer <laughs> like this that really swelling you know and also starring, you know. <laughs> it has all those beats. <laughs> and featuring sure. Vince Vaughn as the terribly miscastral oh, sergeant. I was wondering how long it was going to take us to get to that because, <laughs> like, literally, Vince Vaughn, the only other movie he should ever do in his entire life is the sequel to the Dodgeball movie, and that's it. Just <laughs> fucking quit. Just don't. You can't. He, You're I mean, really big on the actors I, staying I in their lanes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you can't like even fucking Adam Sandler did all right in serious roles. Yeah, he did all right, and this is the guy who. And made... I hate Adam Sandler, but I like Spanglish. Well, Spanglish is great. I was actually. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was good. In we'll it. get to that later, but that actually came anyway, up in yeah. the thing I wrote for you earlier. Um, okay. Spanglish made a made a cameo in something that's great. Um, you know, Jim Carrey. I understand. The idea that you have you if you are a comedian or you're a comedic actor that you are not worth anything if you don't do a serious role at some point. Almost every single one right. of note has done it. Will Ferrell has done it, you know. Mm-hmm. Steve Carell, all of them. But if you're not good at it, just stick with comedy. It's yeah, just fine. check the box and move on, man. Yeah. You know, but you did it once you God, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to Vince Vaughn's defense here a little bit. I don't think he's necessarily a bad actor. I think the writing for that character was just so all over the place. He's like funny one time. They're supposed to be like a scary drill sergeant another time. And yeah. It's supposed to be semi-comedic. Yeah. He started off that way for sure. But isn't that, supposed his, to be isn't like that a, his He's like bebopping and scatting all over everyone. Making <laughs> that extremely uncomfortable uh, like Cherokee joke with the war cry. Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene. Mel Gibson has to know that he cannot, like, out of anybody, he cannot put that in a movie. Yep. I totally forgot about that, but yeah. You gotta be careful there, brother. Yeah. I was like, oh, Mel. (laughs) Just couldn't help himself. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I I get what you're saying. I think it might not even be him. I mean, again, if we're talking about, like, Hugo Weaving not being believable in a movie, then I think that's down to the director rather than the actor. And I mean, I didn't. Andrew Garfield was nominated for an Academy Award for this, wasn't he? Which is fucking unbelievable. Checking, checking. He was, in fact, he was. I, I mean, I, I have the feeling that we're again in the territory of like the subject matter is what's being awarded more, like because it's an amazing oh, story. Yeah, because yeah. this movie fucking like, blows. How well they pulled it off. <laughs> like I thought, Hidden Figures was going to be the worst movie nominated, but that movie looks amazing compared to this. Like, Hexo Ridge is a bad movie. It's not even like, like Hidden Figures I just didn't like because it was like PG and kind of soft on some of the details. But like, I think Hexo Ridge is just a straight up bad movie. Yeah, but we agreed that it was good though. That it was still like right. enjoyable and good. Hidden Figures. Just yeah, that's what I'm saying. Out of the ones we were talking about, not the best and a little weak. Yeah, like a little weak. Lion 2, a little weak, but like I can see those why they were nominated for best picture but like i really other than mel gibson and the story behind it like i don't know what anyone saw in this movie fucking like, sam frankie do you see anything in the uh like we we talked about how both um what was it moonlight's obviously broken into three parts lions very clearly broken into two parts this movie is also extremely 
like bifurcated it's the him in america and then him in okinawa and i think the second half of the movie was i mean much more interesting at least than the first half i think that's kind of oh, where yeah. gibson's strength is, is and the, the war setting. It, i'll say it what takes you... them one hour to get to the war <laughs> yeah. just putting that yeah. out there well before and... anything important happens I think that as much as the first half of it is kind of a paint-by-numbers situation, the second half is as well because, you know, you go through – you you create a, an antagonist for him who, you know, in the same – Yeah, in, in, the, in the same <laughs> way that, you know, <laughs> um, that you're talking about hidden figures setting up the situation where in the second half of the movie people that have been asses have to apologize for having been an ass – you get that and then some in the situation where they the two main you know irritants of each other end up saving each other in one way or another and you know they have they even have a incredibly cheesy one-on-one heart-to-heart in a hole at night i mean you had you know? to have that scene right yeah and it's like you know there's nothing and i understand you know when it's a when it's a historical movie and it's a biopic, and it's all that, that, you know, there are things that you will expect to happen and beats that are that are intended to be in a movie that has, you know, basically been made over and over and over again. I mean, there's nothing in this movie that is better than Saving Private Ryan in any way, and I would assume yep. that, you know, you could look at bits and pieces of any movie that kind of goes over any war and kind of see things that you will again see in hacksaw ridge so there's it it doesn't do anything incredibly well outside of the hyper realistic violence um which is kind of what you expect from a mel gibson war movie i mean you got braveheart and you got the patriot you know apocalypto even though mel gibson himself wasn't in it you know it still kind of has that same deal where it's like there is just violence so if that's something that you're you're into or you kind of find, you know, interesting in some way, then yeah, totally. The second half of this movie is great. And then, you know, it, it's 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 a happy ending, you know, as much as it can be when more than 60% of the people that are on screen are murdered. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's They're still... murdered extremely quickly in that second half. Oh, like, yeah. as soon as it opens, it's like, all right, there's half the leads are done. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just, you know, and then you're like... I don't even know if I'm happy that this guy that I have seen in this movie before is still alive because I don't really know anything about him. It's like they have they have this opportunity to create, you know, uh, a sense of camaraderie within the unit that you would expect to be the type of thing that pays off in the second half of the movie. But, you know, they when you're in that bunk, they introduce you to like 18 people. And you know that the one guy is going to be important because he's an asshole and that the guy that's naked is probably going to be around because they wouldn't just let the guy be naked and then not have him still yeah. be in the rest of the movie. But besides that, it's just like, I don't, there are, there's like, there's a lot of guys and they, they yeah, all have Yeah, it's like, names. oh, here's the Italian he's guy. A cowboy here's a yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Texan. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Is this the village people? It's like, it's I mean... like it would have, it would have been better if it had been like a series like Band of Brothers or something like that. But yeah, because it's yeah. just like this, it's this, you know, they kind of confuse what it is that they wanted to do because it's obviously a story about Dawes. But then they're like, we, 
we we got we have some other actors you know we had to get some australian actors in here to be able to make this movie so here's a couple Mm -hmm. um and yeah there's a lot of people and we'll make sure that we get yeah the indian and the cowboy and the guido and you know the guy from rhode island and the guys that play cards but we don't really know anything about them you know and then they even appear again do they they probably died right in the beginning you know they probably got shot in the head so, well, it's one. Yeah, I mean, you, all you have to do is watch Aliens and be like, you know how they introduced all these characters <laughs> in like five yeah. minutes, and you got mm-hmm. them immediately. Just watch yeah. that movie and then do that. Yeah, just like, don't take have someone like minutes Brett. from the first half. Cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Add yeah. a little bit more backstory to all the characters. I don't know if I agree that the the violence and the war scenes were like that realistic. It, it was kind of cartoonish to me. First of all, the, did, the did CGI I, was I said hyper-realistic, awful. right? The CGI was bad, especially with the guns firing. It was like a video game. And then everyone's yeah, legs really were blown bad. up. Like, they were wearing the same, like, pants. The yeah. same, like, guts pants. <laughs> Blow-away pants. Yeah. They were all, yeah, like, they were all blown away the exact same way. All the bullet gone. wounds looked really, like, the lighting was really bad on them. I don't know. It felt like a really poor quality. I thought, I thought it was pretty decent. But, again, I was watching it at home. I wasn't watching it on the big screen. I watched it at home, too. I don't know. Maybe I got a bad copy, <laughs> but it seemed it was pretty bad to me. Um, yeah, and I think just as like the kind of the the final thing for me was just that like, what is this movie trying to do? Well, it's trying to like kind of elevate this guy and kind of state this case. I think that the concept of the movie is really interesting because it's about someone who just takes seriously the notion that you shouldn't kill people. Yeah, and. Everyone else is like, well, yeah, but it's different in war. And he's like, well, why? But they never really go into that issue. They kind of just be like, well, I'm a Christian, so it's different for me. They're yeah. like, well, okay, but yeah. these guys are I'll all Christians. Well, I think, that's what I think they were hoping then. that the payoff would be... Um, and I actually thought that Sam Worthington was, was pretty decent in this movie. Uh, he was. I'm resistant was, to praise Sam Worthington because I don't like him. Well, he, you know, he, he was, was everywhere he was good, for though. a while. And then kind of disappeared, like you know. He, I I think they're getting geared back up for him to be in all those eighteen Avatar sequels that they're making uh, uh, concurrently. Oh, uh, but yeah, I thought he was pretty good. But I think that they thought the payoff would be when Sam Worthington, who was kind of like you know the reluctant adversary to Dawes throughout the yeah. first half of the movie, kind of comes around, and then you know ha- they have that big moment where like, oh. Why aren't you guys up the hill? You're 10 minutes late. It was like, okay, yeah, I, I don't really know how the military works, but it's just like, are they really going to be like, you know, some dude's literally just standing there looking at his watch going, 10 minutes have gone by and they are not murdered yet, so I don't know what's <laughs> taking so long. Uh, but they're like, oh, yeah, we're waiting for Dawes to get done praying for us. I think that was Well, I would also think like that that'd the, be a big fucking deal. Yeah. Like, like, guys, you know what? We're coordinating these efforts, right? You can't just be 10 minutes late because you want to be. Yep. Yeah. I think that was supposed like to be we've got guys big... depending on you for cover now who are yeah. dead. <laughs> that was supposed to be that big moment, but it didn't yeah. really it didn't really play well, at least in my eyes. And that moment along with almost everything we've talked about was in the trailer. Like the trailer, I I've mm-hmm. been watching the trailers after we finished just so I kind of get a sense of what's in it. And mm-hmm. this is almost an impossible movie to spoil. The only thing that's not in the trailer is the confirmation that he makes it out alive. Yes. So while watching the movie, that's the yeah. only thing I was like, oh, maybe he dies in it. That could be interesting. Yeah, another case like Lion. 
I wish I didn't know the story behind it because the first that makes the first half even that much more painful. Because it's like just get to the goddamn war already. Yeah. Like, that's why <laughs> I came to see. But but like you were saying, Frankie, the moment with the resistant officer and he like you know apologized, said, "Man, I judged you wrong," which is almost exactly yeah. what the other scene is about. And that's yeah. the other problem is that the whole movie is kind of building to that scene, and they do that scene about five or six times, and not a mm-hmm. single time does it work for me like he has that stupid speech when he's on trial about the world's trying to get itself torn apart and i thought i'd just try to put some of it back together again and it's like oh, that yeah, line that fucking was, sucks yeah that was good. something where like they they probably wrote that line really early on and like ooh, ooh, that's good that's good when can we use that oh let's use that <laughs> let's use that in the in the courtroom scene you know it's like it'll be it'll be so great and it's like uh well, like a fifth grader would write in like mm-hmm. why do i want to be a doctor when i grow up Yep. <laughs> it's fu- it's so for me that kind of kills the movie. I don't know why. So again, you know, we watched it with the expectation of this is an Oscar winning movie, but yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think if I watched this I would be like, Ooh, Oscar season, here we come. Mm-hmm. It's definitely Oscar Baity, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it if is Oscar Baity movie. Yeah. Like oh, the yeah. subject Real- especially. I mean it's definitely a good story. Um again, what was the other one we talked Oh, Lion is like that, where it's like if someone told you the story you'd be like, Holy shit. But, yeah, um, again, like Lion, it's like, this would be way better as just a documentary. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally would. agree. Totally agree. Massive list or any uh, niggling details? Uh, oof, no, I thought Sam Worthington was Jack Courtney for about 90% of the movie. Also, the that we always hate when he's in a movie. How did we not talk about the grenade kick? <laughs> well he does a Easily he does a grenade part. slap first and then slap he and pulls kick. right yeah that was Dude, incredible you can't, hey that's you get you get you know that spider-man residue you know just basically <laughs> yeah he's got insane reflexes sometime in the beginning of the movie that he's like a all-state like handball champion or something tetherball tetherball champ oh, on base yeah. he could be at base they could do like a Top Gun all oiled up, top, shirtless, you know, <laughs> scene. And he's like, man, this guy kicks some fucking ass at Tetherball. Where's Tetherball going to get you when you're in the shit? And that's that's why the girl falls in love with him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Scene. See, we're and writing a better movie already. Line. They probably, yeah, just, they probably proposed that and the her. family shot it down for being too homoerotic. <laughs> Although, wait, the guy's dead now. So why why'd they need... Anyway, who cares? This is <laughs> Uh, yeah, this movie is very homoerotic, so <laughs> I think they had a problem there. They would have a problem many other places. Um, okay, so moving on from homoeroticism, let's get as far as we can from homoeroticism and talk about chesty by seamen. <laughs> I think you got that title. <laughs> that's, what <I've>, <laughs> that's what I've got it. I've, my dyslexia is kicking out, but that's what I'm reading. Written and directed by Kenneth Logan's Run. <laughs> And then, yeah, my notes are all fucked up. This one is starring Andrew Garfield as Desmond Dawes. That doesn't make sense. I think (laughs) it's pretty obvious. This guy's done with that one. Kyle Chandler as Joe Chandler. That'll fuck you up. And then uh, Casey Affleck as Lee Chandler. And the guy who plays the kid that you like so much. You praised him and you're right up to. Kyle Chandler. Young young, Young Matt Damon. Yeah, basically. Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges is his name. Oh. And he really messed these up. Being a son is his game. Yeah. He is a... <laughs> I don't think he, he really... 
Let's see. Oh. He was in Moonrise Kingdom. That's the only thing that I that I think I remember. Boy. <laughs> what? <laughs> the main boy. He was no. the little. He was the little boy, the young John Hendren. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. Shikusky or whatever his. <laughs> Whatever his name was. He, he yeah. was like one of the scout leaders or something, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's, let's go Frankie for this one. Manchester by the Sea. How'd that so, work for you? Well, I, I really thought that old, uh, old Cool Hand Luke there was actually the best part of the movie because it seemed, it seemed really effortless for him. E- all right, effortless in his handling of the character. Because there's effortless when you just seems like it's really easy for you to be a character, and there's also effortless when you're not actually putting any effort into it at all, which was Casey yeah. Affleck. <laughs> um, and I'm sh- I'm sure Oof. we'll get to that. No, I'm I'm, I'm really fired. serious. I mean, all you have to do is watch that um fucking short he did for Saturday Night Live, like right around the time that this came out, where he was basically the exact same character, and it's just like. This is this is just who he is. So I mean, sure he was brooding and suicidal at one point, but this was not a stretch for him at all. So it's kind of you know again something that mm. may have been colored by the information that I had about him. What? Uh, okay. No, that was a that was a hmm. hmm. But it was a it was a, it was a disagreeing hmm. What kind of get in there, man? Let's here? hear it. Well, I mean, again, I watched the movie before any of this came out. So to me, Casey Affleck was still the like goofball. I, just no matter what you say. Huh? You know what I always think of him from? Um, whichever one of the Oceans yeah. movie where he went to Mexico to get the dice loaded. That's, yeah, I didn't see that one. I me can't too. I always get think of him as the uh, Jesse James movie. He was really good in that. I, well, I, I don't really know him from, like, yeah, the side parts in, in the... It, yeah, shut up. <laughs> but yeah, I knew him as a goofball in the Oceans movies and the How About Them Apples movie. So he was a goofball to me. And then he comes in this movie and he's like, you know, brooding, brooding guy. And I was like, whoa, look at this guy being brooding over here. And uh, it... Median trick then, huh? <laughs> sure. <laughs> like the funny guy who now he's doing a serious one. Yeah, exactly. He's like Adam oh, Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or Vince Vaughn. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so yeah, it it was unexpected for me, and yeah, I thought he he carried it really well. Him and the kid Lucas, I think they were both like equally great in this movie. Lucas, the kid, it's helped by me not knowing him in any previous roles, mm-hmm. so it's a lot easier for him to just like fade away into the character. Yeah. But Casey Affleck, I think. It was more impressive to me that he faded into the character because I was familiar with him in such a specific way as like a goofy sidekick. So hopefully I'll I say um, the way I'll come down on this is I'm kind of more of Frankie's opinion on it. And again, part of the divide might be that we both saw it after the allegations came out about Casey Affleck. Um, I mean, for me, I I've know him most. I don't think I've seen anything with him in it that where he's goofy. I saw him in uh, the was it the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Long movie, long title, um, but he was really good in that, and he plays a really dislikable character, so or unlikable character. So that kind of goes a longer way for me. But in this one, 
And I'll actually go ahead and disagree with both of you because I'll say uh, impossible. Both both characters um, <laughs> both seemed like it was. It's hard to tell what scenes they both have about one scene each in the entire film that you couldn't say they could have just walked up and kind of done it naturally. Um, Luke Hedges his his kind of whole arc is just a guy kind of just being a guy. He's just kind of going through his life responding two things in a generally amiable way. Um, and then he has like the freak out over the freezer, I think is the only scene where he's acting in a way that seems like it requires acting rather than just kind of saying the lines in your normal voice, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Uh, Casey Apple was kind of the opposite where it's like, well, just, you know, the, these scenes before the fire, you're going to be in happy mode. And then the scenes after the fire, you're going to be in sad mode. But it's like, are you really being a different character? Or are you just like, monotoning yeah i guess i I don't i don't hold it against an actor who's acting not in like a a obvious way like i mean yeah maybe they're they're just you know using their own voices their own accents and they're just kind of going through it but i think they're to be able to do that and still like get lost in the character or at least like be a person carrying that same backstory i think it's still impressive to me even though they're not like pretending necessarily to be someone completely different. And that's that why you're such sense. a huge Samuel L. Jackson fan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, who isn't? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I, 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 they didn't change their hair, so I, I know that probably tweaked you, Jerry. Yeah, it really annoyed me that he didn't shave like for the funeral. That's part of it. That's part of the character. Well, I I will say that I do generally have a problem with, um, and it's a very like Hollywood character, and it's the guy who's had um, an emotional trauma in his life, and so he never smiles again, ever. And it's like, that doesn't happen to people. Like, people, even though they might not ever get over it in their heart, um, you know, they still can smile, and they still joke with people, and they still get on with their lives from a surface area. And so my comparison would be like, uh, you know, when you look at Moonlight, that character uh, who played, um, I'll never remember his name, it was like Ch- Ch- Chiron? Chiron? Yeah. Yeah. He he portrayed someone who, you know, early on when you see him as an adult, he looks like a completely different character. He's joking with people, he's busting people's balls, he's got all this confidence. And then you see once he deals with real issues you can see the kind of apprehension and confusion and, you know, defensiveness on him. And that for me is what makes the ending so powerful is that it's somebody kind of, uh, really risking to reach beyond the, the social veneer of everything's hunky dory all the time to try to make a real connection with somebody. Whereas, I mean, typically it's, the what I consider a very unrealistic idea of this guy, you know, his kid died or something. So he's frowning all the time. He meets someone new and he doesn't say a word to them. And it's like that, I mean, that really doesn't exist in life. And it's really weird to see in, in like serious films, you know, it seems like it would make sense in like Independence Day to really easily characterize somebody as like, oh, this guy's got a dark, you know, past. But it's really weird to see in a movie about like real people. But the only thing I'll say against that is that the trauma in his life is so insanely heavy, and it 
and it was at a moment where he was, you know, at his most jovial, you know, was hanging out with his friends, party and whatever, that I could, I could make the connection that that would just totally fuck him up for the rest of his life. I mean, a lot of movies I think don't go far enough with the, like the inciting incident. It's like, okay, like, like La La Land, like, oh, she's just going away for three months, so we have to break up forever. It's like, well, who cares? This is like, he was the reason his two children died. That's pretty I mean, fucking Like, for, for an example, like, uh, I used to work at a pet shop, and two of the guys who worked there, one of the guys, one of the most friendly guys I ever knew, uh, eventually one day I got talking to him, and it turned out that he had been arrested for murdering his infant because um, the court said that he shook him. And he did or he you know maintained that he did not but it it was just like holy i mean i i can't imagine feeling responsible for killing your infant um another guy at that same pet shop kind of a weird place i guess um (laughs) he at some point revealed that his wife had uh, of a day just drove across your traffic lines to head-on collide with a semi to kill herself oh wow and it was yeah and i mean neither of these guys would i say you know, there's a, an imperceptible sadness to them, maybe because they're older and they're you know alone and whatever. But it, you're, it's not like they're wearing black, you know, the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not that that movies have to be realistic, but it is. It does remind me almost like of, like you know, in the Dark Knight when Two Face gets burned, and it instead of like the way people really look when they're burned, he's kind of like a cartoon character. That's kind of what this is. It's like oh, it's showing you that this guy got burned in the past. You know, he's sad all the time. And as soon as he smiles, yeah. that means he's been redeemed. Right. Yeah, I well, think we're smashing on this of... movie. Maybe more than we should have. I mean, did you did you like the movie generally, Frankie? Well, I thought that it? I thought that it was kind of it was um the I think there were some aspects of it. I think that the the use of flashbacks um, early on in the movie kind of detracted from their attempt to tell a story out of order. Um, so that kind of took me out of the idea that I'm experiencing. How are you supposed to tell a movie out of order without flashbacks? What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so here's, <laughs> you go through the part where you go into the hospital, right? Yeah. And then you're immediately in that same hospital but earlier. Mm-hmm. Talking to the person who has supposedly just died. Yeah. With terms that are basically just brother. So this guy is dying and dead at the same time. And they're kind of coexisting within the same space because there's not... Stylistically, it's not approached in a way that I thought was effective to show that this is something that is happening out of order. That the flashback okay. is was not used well early on because you kind of you know obviously there's flashbacks because the beginning of the movie well kind of in some way shape or form the beginning of the movie is they're having fun on the boat you know hanging out there's a young kid and then his brother and then he is you know could have gone right off that boat into his role as a janitor and then goes to see his brother who has died and then his brother is also there sick in that same hospital so that's what I'm saying. It kind of, I you, I might have misspoke on what I was trying to say, but my intent was that I didn't think the flashbacks were used well early on, because their intent is to tell the story out of order to kind of show, basically that he's 
he has two points in his life where he's the happy guy and then he's the the not happy guy. Yeah, I could I could see a little bit of that. I saw this movie a while ago, but I, I remember being a little bit confused by the timeline early on mm-hmm. in reference mainly to Kyle Chandler dying. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can see it a little bit. I, I didn't find that too confusing because, I mean, what they it's it's subtle, but they do mention he's like, oh, his normal doctor isn't in, but she was really good to him. And I think one of the first things they do when they get to the flashback is address that doctor by name. So, I mean, I guess it could be a little confusing, but um, I didn't think it was that bad. I did think the beginning was like a little like, uh, you know, boring, I guess I could have used more. But I mean, I did like that eventually once it kind of unfolded and you got the whole story. I did think the use of flashback during the um, the custody scene was good because that then it, it's kind of. It like you said, kind of confusing, but you do get then the whole picture of oh, that same night where he had this party, he then is walking for beers, he then comes back, his house is on fire, yeah, and so you get the sense, and it and it kind of works in in the way that you know that mm. that's what he's thinking about at that time is I can't fucking live here, no way, yeah. no how. That um, totally, that totally worked. That part of it definitely worked. It just didn't. I didn't feel like there was it was integrated as well early on. Because I think their intent early on was to kind of just establish, especially when you have these movies where, you know, you're kind of trying to dig into the meat of someone's personality and their psyche. Mm-hmm. But you also want to establish the fact that they are just like a regular person. Like they've had some extraordinary things happen to them um, in a negative sense, but that they're still just kind of this everyman, which, you know, kind of goes along with the whole, I guess, you know, attempt at making sure that you are very aware that these people are from Boston in the Boston area. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that this, Oh, the it's just a regular guy. Passing. Exactly. You know, it's, <laughs> so it's like, we had to put that. but I, I think, you know, it's, they, they definitely, and it is boring and they spend a lot of time just kind <laughs> of like establishing the fact that, yeah, it's just a regular dude. It's a regular dude. You know, he might, you might be bummed. He gets drunk and fights people, but you know, whatever he's, just like a regular guy and then when you eventually get to the point where you figure out that he's irregular because of some gigantic trauma so Mm -hmm. i guess the build-up to that kind of can be boring it makes sense when they kind of pivot around um but you know it is definitely it's a little bit of a slog early on you're like what is this movie gonna be about (laughs) Yeah, I really actually hated that um, first fist fight scene at first, um, just because like he walks up to the guys and I'm like, is he gonna just like randomly punch them like like departed style? Yeah, um, and then he does. I'm like, this is why is this guy such an asshole? Like, what the fuck? But then later, you you know, I was kind of like after the movie's over, I'm like, oh, he people like look at him and whisper because they know yeah. who he is, and so yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, I guess I could see why that would set him off. Um, I did hate the beginning of this movie, though. I felt like it was really weirdly acted by all those tenants. Um, I don't know why. I just thought it was really... Especially the woman who was like, oh, should I get in the shower and you should watch me shower? And it's like, how fucking... I I, I don't know why that frustrated me so much because I felt like I was expecting the line like, no, obviously you don't need to take a shower to run the shower, Mm -hmm. idiot. And instead he says... No, he says, I don't give a fuck what you do. And I'm like, wait, no, get to the issue of why she's stupid for saying that. <laughs> like, you have to address it. 
Yeah, I think I feel like that was kind of supposed to be a little bit of a kind of funnier part. The intro, I guess. Yeah. Like the only, yeah, the only real funny part. It got kind of funnier as it went on once you got um, the kid in there, and they had a little bit of banter between them. Um, I do yeah, like it that. Funny. It seems like a uh, like a the concept of the movie was to take the you know well worn trope of like a kid dealing with trauma and some like inexperienced adult stepping up to the plate. And like parenting them through it and then the twist is that the kid really doesn't have much of a hard time getting through it at all and the parent figure is so fucked up that he can't get over his own trauma from years before like i kept expecting the kid to like you know have a lot of issues and he really didn't and Uh it's kind of interesting uh that it you know defied that expectation i thought it was really interesting that your one like I guess I don't know if it's qualm or anything like that, but that your your point about him having the kind of breakdown scene being the only thing that was kind of an acting portion for him within the movie, um, because I felt that they got through it too quickly in um, too like visceral way. Like with him, you know, kicking the door down and being like, yo, you know, if you're going to freak out, you have to at least leave the door open and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, which I thought the tension of the scene from beginning to end could have been, that could have been like the, you know, the scene that made this movie the Oscar movie, you know, um, which I think they hoped that his, you know, meeting his estranged ex-wife out by the ocean was supposed to be that scene too, and I felt like both of them kind of fell flat um, because they the one where uh, they meet with the baby carriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that, and I think that's the part where you know, because did we ever find out actually if Michelle Williams got nominated for this as well? We did. She was okay, but it was supporting that. Yeah, that is you know like that's I think that's the scene that got her the nomination. But again, I just felt that it kind of. It you know it's just uh, I felt when you have when you're trying to tell a story which is like normal people just going through normal things and they're supposed to to speak to us as an audience about like yeah this is something that maybe I've gone through or I know someone that's gone through you know not your two children burned to death because you were drunk and didn't put the thing in front of the fire not that exactly but you know something in that realm I guess some gigantic tragedy that not many people experience that that is where you make the connection instead of it just being like these are normal people going through normal things in a way that i can connect to um i don't know just uh there's parts of it that i thought were were really interesting but i not really not really the acting i guess there wasn't anything that kind of just spoke to me in a way that I don't know. Made this Oscar worthy? Did that did that scene work for you, Eve? The Michelle Williams scene? Yeah, any scene with Michelle Williams worked. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's I, great. I thought she was really good. In. Yeah, she's great. I thought it was a good scene because yeah, it was the first time Casey Affleck like breaks down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And they had good, like, decent enough chemistry between them in the other couple scenes that they were together. So. It was believable. And she says she still loves him, which is like so sad. So it's so heartbreaking. This movie is yeah. pretty heartbreaking. Um, Would you I like mean, to see s- a little bit more from Casey Affleck in that scene, though? 
because that kind of goes to I think what what I what I'm attempting to say, and I don't know if Jared was kind of echoing this at the same time, but it's like there was you know just like the if he is just this eternally sad figure, this eternally tortured, destroyed human being that is just completely incapable of love or emoting or anything like that. You know, I mean, I think the scene where he goes to the friend's house, George, I think, and they're on the couch and it's after he's got his hand cut and he's, you know, all beat up from getting beat up by those guys. And he like breaks down there and is being cradled by George's wife. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that that was the most powerful scene for his character individually because like outside of the him putting putting the gun to his head um because it was actual emotion coming through because i understand that you know you're trying to have subtlety for this character but i think because the entirety of his character is so flat where he's just like never wants to go inside never can can't even have a conversation with anyone besides the kid um you know that when there's actual emotion coming through that that was that's what i was looking for i guess I think, I think that's where the, I mean, go ahead, Ethan. You go first. I think that's where the flashbacks helped too, because he is kind of this this same flat, like dead, dead eyed character the whole time. So, like they can inject those flashbacks to kind of give the audience almost a, a break from watching him not emote mm-hmm. to yeah. give you like a glimpse of him as a real human to kind of break it up a little bit. And then at the end, you know, he finally has a couple breakdowns and breaks that shell but just to go back about the flashbacks yeah and i'll I'll say that even though i don't think that his like you know always in mourning uh behavior or you know persona was that realistic i do think one way it was realistic and one way one thing i did like that they did even though it can make it uh frustrating to watch in a way is i mean it is always kind of subverting those expectations you're expecting this movie um is going to be about this guy dealing with that trauma and then coming together with his family. And for me, the, the, the scene that kind of, um, that kind of hints at that, the, the direction they're going in is when he's at the police station and they just kind of like, all right, well you can go. And he's like really dumbfounded, like, like, because the thing that's such a big deal to him, they don't consider that big a deal in terms of the law. They're like, yeah, you know, sorry, it's not a, not illegal to, you know, forget to put the thing on. And he just kind of like really left wanting like a more of a resolution. And that kind of follows through with all those scenes. You know, he, he kicks down the door and he says, I'm going to stay here till you feel fine. The kid's just like, all right, I'm fine now. Can you leave? He's like, no, Uh, it's not the kind of, uh, you know, that same foxhole moment that the other two guys have where they really get to know each other. And, when he and Michelle Williams are talking, um, she's trying to connect to him and he's almost at a breakthrough and he just walks away cause he can't handle it anymore. And then, you know, finally in the movie, he's just like, Hey, guess what? Here's, here's the headline. Uh, I'm not getting over this ever. <laughs> so that's the movie. See, so, yeah. yeah, it's like, he, he's, he's looking for punishment. Um, so, so I, I, kind, I that... kind of appreciate that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of think that that point for me was, uh, kind of montage sequence where they look at the oh, guns. They, like, see the light uh, sequence where they played that song that was, like, way too on the nose. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I think. I'm, I'm beginning to, to see the light where he's, like, smiling on the boat with the girlfriend on the boat, too. Yes, yes. And then he, like, yeah. leaves to go run errands so they can, you know, have sex in the house and everything. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think that was, like, or, oh, he's, now he's cool uncle because, like, he helps with the boat and, you know, he gets his nephew laid and, you know, all this stuff. And I thought that was kind of, like, the, the pivot point where it becomes he's redeemed and he's found his new family and all that. And then it kind of, you know, then I think not too long after that is when he, when he tells the kid, yo, you're going to get adopted by George and his wife. And he's just kind of like, eh, okay. Yeah. It seems like he's on the right course. And then he meets Michelle Williams and he's like, uh, yep. no. Oh, so that's, is that how it happens? Like time wise? I guess that makes sense I, then. I think so. I think, I think he's doing all right. And it's, it's kind of jerking you around. Like it's going to be the story of him being okay. And then I think he meets her and then gets in the much more destructive bar fight. And then it's just like, fuck this. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So you guys have any closing thoughts on this one? Eth? Not really. No. Okay. Did, (laughs) uh, let's set that piece. Did, uh, Frankie, any closing thoughts? Um, not as good as I expected it to be, but still pretty good. It was, it reminded me, I think I was talking to you, Ethan, about this, about those movies that you see on TV, and they seem like real movies, like, for adults to watch, not like porn yeah. movies. <laughs> but, like, just movies about people essentially talking to them. each other and, like, getting through things. And so it's not like it doesn't get your blood pumping that much, but it kind of always stays in your head. There's, like, always a little spot for it. Right. So I think yeah, this definitely. Movie would probably always have a little adult. spot in my head. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I did have one weird note. Was the first thing I noticed in the movie is that I wanted to give um, uh, K Media, the Farm and B Story, some credit for having extremely short uh, studio logos, because like, <laughs> fucking Amazon Studios has this long, drawn out Game of Thrones looking intro, and yeah. someone's got to tell the studios to just fuck off with these long intros. Nobody's impressed by them. Nobody thinks they're cool. Everyone's just pissed off that the movie's taking longer to start. Also, they always have their like long, drawn-out like computer graphics intro, and then the movie always has the title card with the same information on yes. it, which always <laughs> pisses me off, and I don't that really get nuts. the reasoning. Why have both? Um, yeah. Well, Lionsgate has one now where instead of just, like, the words appearing in the clouds, they, like, zoom out from, like, Alpha Centauri, like, 12 galaxies away, and then, like, (laughs) zoom in. It's so fucking drawn out. It's like, don't try to think of ways to make your fucking... I was looking at that, I'm like, this had better not be universal, because they've already extended their logo beyond what's reasonable. (laughs) Anyway, um, so, who are... Yeah, we'll we'll repeat that in the fuck yous. Um, Hardest Man, Ethan. Um, I think it was Mel Gibson, and it was specifically in that last scene where Andrew Garfield's getting that, like, Jesus shower. Yeah. <laughs> he's washing all the blood off him, he's naked, he's got, like, his arms stretched out. Uh, you know, Melly was, yeah. was cranking down. Yeah. Go ahead, you, Frankie. Um, I'm going to say the brother from Hacksaw in that one, because, I mean... There's no evidence that he wasn't, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he just might have fucking been great in the war. Who knows? Disappeared. Yeah, apparently he served in the navy, so I guess that's why you didn't oh, see him. Oh, how about that? Um, 
Yeah, I'll say that the guy, Ethan, what was the character's name? The guy who was like a young Sean Bean, who was like the asshole turned friend of Desmond Doss? Uh, his character's name, I have no idea any of their names. Except for What's Doss. the actor's name? His name was Spiv or something. Sp- yeah, let's go with Spiv. <laughs> I thought it was, uh, Smitty was the character's name, wasn't it? It was a Smitty? <laughs> I, th- I think so. Anyway, that so. guy was cool, um, and I did appreciate that that movie, even though it was about a guy not using a gun, um, that guy proved that guns are really, 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 really useful in wars. <laughs> it was pretty rad uh, when he picked it, up that uh, that um, D-legged body and ran for oh, it with yeah. it shooting. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was pretty rad. Yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, the only other move oh. that was really good was uh, when Sam Worthington uh, drops the Japanese soldier onto his own grenade to yeah. uh, block the blast that was that's pretty that, awesome that's pretty cool i also like the the guys bumping the uh the uh, rpgs on their head and then tossing them yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool bad. i don't know if that really works but uh <laughs> <laughs> all right um so we got some corrections Heath? yeah we got one major correction here actually caught by our uh, our one hard woman she said, in fact, Rooney Mara was nominated for an Academy Award for the movie Carol. About that. Wow. Clean it up after us. We can't have that. The one think... woman on the show cleaning up after <laughs> us. Actually, I think it was her fuck up. So, I remember having a lot more corrections, but uh, I don't know where they went. From last, I don't think we had too many last time. I think we got it all good. We, we kept it tight. Yeah, so in fuck yous, we've got studios. We should just start calling out the studios of each film when they have a really long intro. I know Lionsgate was long. There was one with kind of a I'll train. That actually, oh, that train really, one. Yeah, what is that? That it one was so long. It would have been a long. cool logo if it was just the train passing to create the film, you know, flicker thing on the windows. That was a cool effect, but you don't need to see the train coming from a mile away and wait for it. Check your watch. I thought, I thought that was the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, train, train. Cool. I was surprised also that um, so I guess one of the reasons why there were so many miscast actors of repute in Hacksaw Ridge is um, this was not an Icon Pictures movie, which was uh, Mel Gibson's studio. So he had to, I guess, prove to studio heads that like he wasn't box office poison. Hmm. So it was you know all those other schmucks that uh <laughs> paid for it. That I'm surprised too. Uh... Only $40 million budget. That seems low, right? Or am I crazy? For no, I think half of a war movie? For, for half war movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. with that many actors uh, of you know pretty high prestige, unless they were just clamoring to work with Mel Gibson, which, hmm, Eek. guys. I th- <laughs> Yikes. I think they, they took the, the budget out of the CGI, though. That's, That's what they dang it, I was going to make that joke. I you think... son of a, you son of a bee. <laughs> Well, I uh, guess that's uh, all for us today. Are we going to pick our winners? Oh, motherfuck me. Yes, we have to. Uh, uh, do either of these movies hit your to. top, uh, Frankie? And have you seen all the other ones yet? Uh, I'm going to recuse myself from this because I have not seen all the other and I don't feel like I'd be able to make fair fair assessments. Favorite of what you've seen? My favorite of what I've seen is actually Fences. I actually like Fences the most. Okay. The second half of Fair Fences, enough. anyway. The first half is 100% <laughs> just the play filmed. Uh, I'm sorry that Have I didn't get to talk play? about that one. Yes. Well, I've seen a f- 
a filmed version of the play on stage from like someone watching it from the right. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, it was good. I enjoyed it, but that's basically what the first half of the movie was. Uh, and then they kind of remember, Oh shit, this is a, this is an actual movie. Uh, we can move things around. Um, <laughs> but this, but which, that movie uh... was Quintus. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, which version did you see? Was it the one with Denzel on stage? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. there you go then. That's redundant. Yep. And this th- this movie was quintessential Denzel, like just pontificating. Oh, yeah. It was just fantastic. So if that's if that's what you like, then this one's the and I I really I really enjoyed it. Even though he was just a deplorable human being. Just <laughs> but so charismatic. Movie. Yes. Are you even What do you got at the top? Top movie it's always been Moonlight. Really nothing moved it. It's not even, I mean, for my list, it's like Moonlight's well well above. And then the next like two or three are kind of grouped together. And then there's the other ones. So, Very specific. Um, you know, I would say Moonlight and I would say the only one that really threatened to take it down. Actually, because we saw Moonlight and Fences fairly close together. So Fences, I think, is also extremely good and worth considering um and then briefly la la land after seeing it it was very thrilling but like i remember the beginning of it this is a really weird year because so many of the movies like even the ones i liked um other than moonlight i guess had a lot in them that i didn't like um nothing nothing really like nothing stands out nothing really too memorable i could i could see all these movies being like totally forgotten in the next couple years um but yeah, so Moonlight's my pick too. Do you have one for directories? Well, kind of playing off the the way the Oscars work, if if I think Moonlight should win Best Movie, I would give director maybe to Damien Chazelle for La La Land. How but, uh, orchestrated the uh, the shots were. Yeah, it was that was the best part of the movie. I mean, how well it looks, how clean it looks. I mean, Barry Jenkins, I think you could also. I think he probably should win, but just, I mean, I guess if, yeah, if I'm picking it, fuck it. Okay, Barry Jenkins wins. <laughs> yeah. Jenkins too, just because, uh, again, the, the acting was so solid between the three characters playing the same person. Um, yeah. That I felt like that you see that so rarely. It's It was just like really a treat to have that part of my brain kind of just shut up because I just believed they were the real same people. Mm-hmm. Do you uh you have a best uh director, Frankie? I don't, again, I don't think I I'm appropriately knowledgeable to to make that. I was hoping that that w- that was going to be something like, hey, let's do a quick one on a Friday or something, and we can go through all this stuff because I still need to watch some some of these freaking movies. Well, maybe we could pop back, or we could do it afterwards, and you just say what you thought was wrong. That's um, true. Oh, well, that think... would be great. Fuck the Oscars, the podcast. <laughs> Uh, we can do that. Um, I don't really have so too wrong. strong of feelings about anything else. The the thing I hate is I'm in the same boat as Frankie for a lot of these other categories. So like actor, I haven't seen Captain Fantastic, and I really love Viggo Mortensen. So I'd kind of I'm working want on to. that one. That's uh, that's on the docket for tonight, actually. I'll say fucking Andrew Garfield, uh, big fat no for that one. <laughs> no. Agreed. Uh, Denzel, I would say, is the one that I'm I would Denzel. pick right now. 
Yeah, I wish uh, I wish they had the betting odds, but I feel like they <laughs> probably got the best odds. And like a uh, actress, I've only seen two of these movies that I would want to give it to Isabel Hoopert because L, she was super good in that. Yeah, I could see. That. I mean, Natalie Portman's pretty good in Jackie. But I was gonna ask if you guys, if anyone had seen the Florence Foster Jenkins one. No, it seems like an old <laughs> no. person movie, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, it's got old Hugh Grant and Meryl Streep in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of like a, a you know daffy old lady movie. Like, yeah, yeah, probably heartwarming. Like a... <laughs> did <you> have... Heartwarming. <laughs> did you have any other? Uh... What about script? Heath? What about best screenplay? Because you've actually seen everything other than Where 20th is... Century Women. Where is Heather Highwater? La La Land, The Lobster, Manchester by the Sea, or 20th Century Women? Uh, this is original screenplay. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right here. I I will say the lobster is a pretty great story. That it kind of falls off at the end, but it's such a wild idea that it's most original. I think of all this list. Well, I don't feel strongly about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would find that one to be hard because I I think that's I don't know. You've seen all the. I don't know if any of them I like that much. Yeah. Yeah, the adapted. I've seen them all. I don't care. Who gives a fuck about the Oscars? How about that? That's how we're signing off today, folks. <laughs> After spending so, a month, <laughs> word. I would. I would like to uh, say that I think that uh, Kubo and the Two Strings should win for animated. That's. Uh, I have strong feelings about that, even though I think the uh, red the Red Turtle one might win. I think that's probably going to be what the winner is. You don't think Moana will take it just as a de facto like Disney Pixar movie? I think we're, I think it's gonna suffer from. Uh, I think Zootopia got too much um, anti-liberal backlash, and I think Moana is gonna get too much frozen <laughs> frozen backlash. So mm. that's gonna clear the way for a little bit more uh, Asian influenced. But the thing is, I can't make a complete declaration for Kubo because I did not see my life is a zucchini or whatever because i have been completely <laughs> unable to track that down but i'm assuming mm. that that was playing at people... sundance i think was it Damn. yeah i believe so but it was like kids so we didn't see it but it had a really good um voice cast i believe but kubo and the two strings mm. is fantastic and it's also made by a company that's local to where i live now so you know pretty isn't that like it's a, it, it's a yeah it's like a yeah they're from portland dude Oh really? Yeah, I've yeah. liked every one of the movies I've seen from them. I, you know what's cool about uh, this is a deep cut. I went and saw it on the one of those Thursday nights at like seven or whatever, and the the audience, huh? The theater that I was in was filled with folks from Leica, and it was cool oh, because I, they have a really awesome sequence for when the credits are rolling. And people were clapping for individual names as they came up on the screen. I was like, oh, man, this oh, is so that's rad. super cool. Yeah. yeah. So. I, uh, I feel like if we ever do a movie, uh, a podcast about um, kids' movies, um, I always have a lot to say about um, Paranorman. Yes. Paranorman is great. Can't wait. But we'll have to save that for another time. Anyway, folks, if you, uh hate Paranorman or Leica or you like the Oscars, uh, send us some hate mail at hardmentoplease at gmail.com follow us on Twitter at hardmentoplease and uh, subscribe and rate on iTunes and Stitcher 
And with that, we'll get you uh, right after the Oscars are over with something mind-numbing. What are we going to do? Like heavyweights or uh, rush hour? Cool runnings. <laughs> cool runnings. Oh, let's do cool runnings. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to do some movie right? that, that could never win an Oscar. Yeah, we'll have Kooji back to make it as uh, brain-dead as possible. <laughs> I'm, I'm hedging my bets that Kooji won't get to the end of this podcast if he listens to any of them. Fuck you, whoever that is. Yeah, you <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> yeah. All right, with that, uh, well, we love you, listener, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, and I'm Ethan. Oh, and I'm Jared. <laughs> and I'm Frankie. Oh, wait. Hold on. Should we do that again? Yeah.